book. I just want to go back to the start initially, really. And I read somewhere that you used to entertain hotel guests in your father's hotel, if I'm correct. And I think that is brilliant. Um, and was that kind of your first taste of performing, really, and, and finding that bug and loving it? Yeah, that, that happened because at that stage, my parents were in Africa and um, I would have been about 12. My grandfather, General Sir Eric de Berg, he wanted to spend the rest of his days with my mum and uh, he saw this castle for sale with 170 acres in the southeast of Ireland. Wow. And with his own money, he bought it and my parents then left Africa. There was problems down there. And so we moved into this old castle, 12th century, 15th century as well, and later, you know, an update and a <laughs> refurb. And um, when we moved in, it was... Christmas time and there was no furniture, no heat, no light, no water, and it was very exciting for a young lad. And um, during after about two years, my father and my mother worked extremely hard, not only on the farm but also, and I was a farmer's son too, um, you know, dealing with sheep and stuff, and um, milking the cows. Hey, we had a Jersey cattle herd, and (laughs) I was I wasn't made up for that, but I I did it. (laughs) But in the summer months, we used to we opened the hotel, and. I, I performed to the guests, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times because there was no TV, no internet or anything. In no. the evenings, we just, people would sit around, up to 50 people, and uh, 15, 16 years old, a great way to meet girls. And there, is, there I was <laughs> singing away um, the songs of the day. Um, and it, it was it was a marvelous way to learn. Uh, and before I even stood on a main stage, any stage, anywhere, I'd already done hundreds of these things. And the next job I had was singing in a restaurant. And that is a pretty terrible job. <laughs> so if you're in a restaurant, folks, um, you know, have a little sympathy to the guy playing the piano in the corner or the guitar player because, you know, you're not there for the concert. You're there to eat. So that yeah. that was good fun. And I learned a hell of a lot from that. I bet you did, yeah, like a real experience so early on as well. Like you say, that that's one of the hardest types of jobs, isn't it, as a performer, you know, like you say, being in the restaurant. And so you, it makes you learn your craft quite early on, I, I bet, that did give you a Very much push. so. Well, you know, it's actually, um, it's harder to perform to uh, to 20 people or 12 people than it is to, to 120,000, which mm-hmm. is probably the, the maximum I've performed to. During the 80s and, and 90s, we were playing football stadiums with my band, and I, I fondly thought back to those days of just having 12 people staring at you, thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, this, this is pressure, pressure, pressure. Listen, I have to say that something very funny happened to me in Plymouth many, many years ago. I was on tour with uh, – this would have been my first tour now – um, I, on the label that I was signed to, A&M Records, which, if you're sitting down, was 47 years ago. Oh, wow. um, yeah. I, I went out on a tour with Supertramp, who had a very big record at that time called Crime of the Century, great band. Um, and then there was Gallagher and Lyle and myself. And we were all stable mates on, on that label. And for one pound, you could see all three acts. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the first act uh, was me. And I, you, you try that for 20 minutes, one guy with a guitar and people are actually booing and get off the stage and oh, mm-hmm. you have to really go through it. Even in America, some places were throwing stuff at me oh, and, or else having to, to actually start the concert while the house lights were still up and people were finding their seats. But yes. this time in Plymouth, usually I had somebody to introduce me, but on this particular night, there was no one around and no one was interested in just going to go up to the microphone and say good evening. So I thought, well, sod this for a lot. So I went, the house lights went down. I went up to the microphone. I said, ladies and gentlemen, 
Would you please put your hands together for one of the most exciting new talents to emerge for quite a long time, a very gifted singer-songwriter called Christa Berg. And everybody <laughs> clapped, and I went to the side of the stage, picked up my guitar, and walked out again. That is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, of course, the audience was so much on my side after that. But, uh, yeah, Plymouth, what a beautiful place, the Barbican District and the Aquarium, yes. the Mayflower Steps, of course. And That's another, awesome. sorry, I'm going to bore you another funny story. I checked into a hotel once, and um, I was grandly shown to, uh, you know, it's the Park Hotel or the Park Suite or something. Yes, yep. And I looked out the window, it was a wonderful view of the Safeways car park. I really, <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, the, the best that is then. You got the best, the best room. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That is brilliant. Oh, what great memories. And so lovely to hear, you know, memories of down here in Plymouth, like you say. And you touched on there, I've got to talk about just a little bit more about being lucky enough, to, you know, touring with working with Supertramp early on in your career as well. And a fantastic story there about picking up the guitar i do love that um i mean yeah. that must have been an, an incredible experience on a wider scale you know as well as int- getting good, <laughs> good at introducing yourself um but you know you must have learned a lot from them really and like you say big at the time big record and there must have been a lot going on and uh, a really big some really big shows there well i think if it hadn't have been for the benefit of performing to the guests in the castle i probably would have crumbled but no mm. you get a serious backbone um, from that kind of thing. And, and another first time I went to, to um, perform in Canada was in Montreal. It was in the McGill University in a sports center, 4,500 very vociferous Montreal Quebecois people. Yeah. And they did not want to see a guy walking on the stage with a guitar at the beginning. And they were going, whoa, and I speak French so I could you know, understand what they were saying. <laughs> and it wasn't pleasant. And whistling. And I was so angry that I'd come all the way across the Atlantic to, to this. No. And I went off the stage and I came back and took an encore, which was not there. And that was a, another bunch of booze and stuff. But the following year, my album Spanish Train and Other Stories came out, and it became a monster in not only the province of Quebec, but right across Canada, multi-platinum. Really? And the next time I went over there, I played, um, I was in the forum, 15,000 people, two shows. So, And now, whenever I play in Montreal, I get a standing ovation at the beginning of the evening that can last anything up to four or five minutes. It's just so heartwarming. And these things can, you turn them to your advantage and you learn from them. Yes, absolutely. And what a difference, you know, like you said there from from when you started going there. And it's a shame, really, though, isn't it, that you kind of have to have that kind of success with an album for people to appreciate your music, if you know what I mean. You know, they should be just appreciating the music for for what it is, you know, the beauty and the music. Um, So it is a shame that that initial introduction for you was like that. Well, you know, the the music business is is known as to be one of the toughest there is. Mm. And I think in my case particularly, I've written all the songs, more than 300, with all the words, all the music, and I do all the touring, all the chatting, all the radio and television interviews and so on. But I love it, and I'm the engine that forces this whole thing through. Um, And one thing I could never do is go out on stage uh, as a legend, you know, only singing the hits, which is why... I'm continually pushing forward. Um, I was asked to write this musical, Robin Hood, by uh, a very talented group of people in Fulda in Germany, right in the center, a place I go to a great deal and I'm successful in Germany. Um, Although I don't speak the language very much, I I, I can understand. So I co-wrote this um, this story and the musical and I wrote eight songs for the musical and we had a major production two weeks ago of a live stream which wow. went out right across the internet of orchestra and choir and uh, uh, all the actors and so on performing some of the, the songs and it was so exciting to hear my songs being performed live it was amazing Absolutely. so I thought at the time why not why not um, 
finished the story for myself. So there is no actual existing story about Robin Hood. You can basically make it up <laughs> as long as you stick to the, the basics, you know, yes, Robin yeah. and Marion and so on. Um, so I wrote 22 songs and uh, this is the result. Amazing. Yeah. And like I say, I've got the album here with me. I'm such a big fan. And I just wanted to talk about, obviously, the album is coming out in September. Um, and what was that like? Um, the different process I want to talk about, because, you know, you mentioned the musical process, but then obviously taking it and saying, continuing the story on your own with an album. Was the kind of approach to the writing different for you at all, would you say? Or was you sort of just continuing what you'd already started, really, with the same process? Well, the thing about the Robin Hood thing, it, it, there is, as I said, no story. So it has to be made up. And what, mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, and um, in particular during the musical, is to show that this is an, a modern-day character. This is somebody yes. who's called to heroism, and it's not just... You're not... Um, you know, um, I, I watched all the films as well. Uh, I, Hi, I'm Robin Lockley, you know, <laughs> as Kevin Costner. So it's entertainment, but nevertheless... Um, we wanted to make him a gritty character. Um, he starts off as an obnoxious teenager at his own um, wedding. Uh, he didn't want to get married to a 13-year-old girl called Marion, um, so he gets drunk and insults everybody. Hmm. But then when he goes up to do his marital duties in, in the wedding chamber, the bedchamber, I, I, I see everything so strongly in like a film. You know, she's standing by the bed, sh shaking and shivering. And then you see a really nice side of him. He then turns out to be a compassionate, kind, gentle man and hugs her until she starts trembling. And then he goes mm. off to the Crusades. So the, ho oh. the whole story evolves from that. But one other thing I did do during the lockdown was I wrote a book. I wrote a story. Um, the whole story, long form of what the album is all about and basically fleshed it all out and I recorded it as an audible um, oh, thing, which is going to go out later in the year, I think. It's a great accompaniment to the album and I get to narrate it and with this music on there as well and I get to put on some of the voices. Uh, for example, we have the Earl of Huntingdon at, at Robin Hood's wedding. He stands up and he says, and now I call upon my son, Robin to say a few words to our distinguished guest here today and say it hell, blah, 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 blah. So, and so I put on a few voices, various people like Little John and, and, and Marion as well. Oh, it's great fun. Yeah, I bet yeah. it is. Yeah, and you know, you're obviously a very prolific songwriter like you talked about. And going back to lockdown, you mentioned there, and obviously you said you managed to do this audible and you managed to do different voices. And did you find that a useful time, lockdown, to be able to be that creative? Because obviously you're such a busy man normally, um, but sort of being confined a little bit and not able to tour and get around. Did you think that made a big difference for you? Were you inspired by lockdown a little bit and give you more creative um, space? Well, luckily, you know, my wife and I live in a big house um, in the hills of Wicklow, and um, my daughter lives close by, and I'm now a grandfather three times, oh. and it just, you know what, I think everybody I know, and maybe everybody in the world, because this is something that combined the world, this coronavirus, um, mm. I think most people had low-level anxiety and, and depression in some cases. I've always been a very Sorry. positive person, and I, I kept busy, but all I tell you what, if that was retirement, I did not want it at all because I've got so much to do, so much to give. I've got some concerts next week, some more solo shows next week um, in Europe. And um, uh, I did one in Cologne three weeks ago, and I counted the days since the last time I was on stage. It's 590 days. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, that, that's difficult. I mean, imagine yeah. you being told, you know, you can no longer do your job a dentist yeah. or a doctor or a chef, the government tells you, stop now, we'll tell you when you can start again. And mm. it's actually pretty shocking. It really is. But 
we're slowly emerging and uh, you know as i say there's been a great deal of, of trauma and grief um not the, nonetheless you know what happened in plymouth i mean that adds grief upon grief but um the, the, the whole thing has been horrific so i'm going to stand back from the whole thing and maybe in in about two or three years i'll write a, a kind of a song that covers the way i felt or maybe other people felt yes yeah no i think that's it's almost like an out, outpouring isn't it if that makes sense you know just yeah and i think that's a really and that's what's come about quite a bit with artists in lockdown really and something that a load, everybody like you say in the world because it happened to everybody in the world can relate to and it's a bit of a unique situation really isn't it for everybody able to be to be able to relate to a subject of a song so easily yeah Absolutely. Well, funnily enough, the, the, the single that's, I, I'm not sure if you're playing, it's called Live Life, Live Well. Yes. But I wrote that before the lockdown even started, and uh-huh. it couldn't be more appropriate because it's just says, it's a kind of a cheerful, and I have no idea where the song came from. I, I was really? sitting down one day, strumming my guitar, you know, I'm looking for me, said a man that I know. I went, what the hell is that all about? Yeah. And then the other bit, don't worry, everything will be fine when you just live life, live well, and so on. It just emerged, and I think a lot of songs do emerge from the subconscious. Mm. Uh, I'm sure a lot of artists in various forms have the same experience. You know, it just emerges like that, yeah, bubbling up, and that's what happened there. Yeah, and when you mentioned you, you know, you didn't. It's so perfect for lockdown, but you didn't. You wrote it before, and that really surprised me because you know, listening to it, it's the kind of thing you think, oh, like this must have been inspired, or you know, can't come from what happened in lockdown because of its feel and the coming out of lockdown. But it happened before, which is amazing, really, yeah. isn't it? about six months before and uh, talking about months before today 35 years ago a certain song was number one in the uk yes i mean that links perfectly doesn't it and i just i think we have to talk (laughs) we do need to talk about um that just a little bit can give it a play because everybody loves that song um it's an amazing song isn't it and one of the most played on the planet i believe isn't it so it's just unbelievable um and we've got to name it because everybody would know what we're talking about but we can't go away without actually naming it um but the lady in red number one 47 countries uh, it's just incredible um and as a round off and just a look back and to reminisce i mean you know what 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 was that like i mean what an experience that must have been um and can you remember sort of where and when that was written i'm sure you can just like like it was oh, yeah. yesterday um yeah but you know the great thing was in some countries possibly the uk being one of them i you know after 12 years i was suddenly an overnight success but in fact i had great success during the 70s with various albums, early 80s with Don't Play the Ferryman, High in Emotion, both big songs around the world, mm. and they're both strong rock songs, and uh, in, yes. on that album, Into the Light, uh, my, my band and I were touring and playing as I may have mentioned, football stadiums and, and I wanted to write a song that was gentle, and I'd written one for my daughter, Rosanna, who'd just been born and um, then I thought, well I was playing, actually doodling on my piano as one does, <laughs> and I got this line I've never seen you looking so lovely as I did tonight. and I thought, what is that all about? And the key word is never, and so I, right. I kind of thought about it and I developed the idea using ideas that I'd seen before because um, I see things in such a filmic way and to this day, it's a huge song in America. Yes. They will have no idea who I am, but they it's a go-to love song. It's been on all the major TV shows and all wow. that stuff, and in Russia and all, all over the world. And I go to Russia quite a bit. They, they love that stuff as well. Yes, it is amazing, like you say, across the world. And it's people have such emotional connections to it because if I if I play it on on the show or if I mention your name, it, people really start to think about that song. And, and there's this emotion that appears, and it, it is lovely to see, yeah. isn't it? That people seem to have an incredible yeah. connection with it. Well, I think it's part of memories as well. I was grew yes. I, I grew up with the Beatles and, and Dylan and so on, and even had the the 
joy of meeting my heroes, McCartney and Bob Dylan, wow. and spending some time with these guys. And of course, I went into a complete blob on the floor when I met the, the <laughs> knees shaking and all that stuff. <laughs> I bet, couldn't yeah. believe it, <laughs> as one does. Um, but uh, yeah, but the, you know, music does take us back. It's a, it's a soundtrack to our lives. And uh, a song like Lady in Red, you know, there are people who loathe it out there and they loathe everything that, well, they've never listened to anything else that artist has done. Um, but I've, you know, I've got a huge, from, from the man who gave you Spaceman Came Traveling and Patricia the Stripper, now we have Lady in Red. So it's, it's yeah. just one of them. Um, but that has a special impact and I'm delighted that people still find it. You know, it's a cozy kind of song and it makes you feel warm. And I think it's got the same kind of feeling as Live Life With Well. It's just a mm, kind of yeah. feel-good song. Absolutely. Yeah, one of those that gives you that, that good feeling, that positive feeling. Thank you so much for your time. Lovely to talk um, and take care of yourself, won't you? All right, you too. Thank you. Thank you.